0: To Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line again as usual today is my colleague Peter Smith. How are you keeping, Pete?
1: I'm good, thank you, Richard. Um, fitting well and healthy at the moment. Um, fortunately, I hope everybody that's listening is too and,
0: uh, and that
1: you are as well, Rich.
0: I am, thanks, yeah. Yeah, everything's well over here. And again, to echo Peter's thoughts, I hope everyone else is well out there. Seventh week of lockdown. And it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon.
1: No, it doesn't, does it? The big problem at the moment is remembering
0: what um, what date it is. Every it day is. seems to, <laughs> to merge into the other. Um,
1: but rugby wise, there's been a little bit of news since we last spoke, um, with the government reve- revealing its £16 million emergency loan to the rfl
0: yes which is, is basically designed to um, to keep the
1: sport and individual clubs alive the situation has got that serious that they've um, they've had to rely on on this money um it's i've got some reservations about it but you have to say well done to the rfl for the effort they put in to getting this money um i know ralph rimmer has been speaking to the government on a very regular basis right since the start of this crisis and all the work he's put in has paid off um the rfl as an organization and and Rimmer as an individual get a lot of criticism and at times that's justified but i think you you know you've got to take your hat off to them for the effort they've put into this um and and there certainly is a a dialogue between the, the sport and the government which can't be a bad thing can it in in a crisis like this but as I said do have some reservations about the loan um, and it's certainly not going to solve all the sports problems
0: no probably give them some breathing space and I'd agree with you that they've done a superb job of getting the money because you could see a situation maybe in a few weeks time where some sports and organisations and businesses are going to be told the well's running dry and I'm very sorry, but you're not getting anything or you're not getting the amount that you need. And in that regard, um, for rugby to get in so soon, a sport that's viewed as probably a minority uh, and perhaps in certain areas unfashionable compared to others, you know, at least they have got some kind of cushion that they can apply to clubs if they need, well, obviously they need the money, it goes without saying. Um, So... To again agree with you, the RFL on this occasion have done a great job. Uh, Ralph Rimmer seemed to be in from the start with the ministers concerned, and uh, obviously all that hard work and groundwork that he put in back then has paid off now.
1: That's um, that's right. I think suddenly rugby league's become important to this. Government. I mean, a lot was made during the election campaign last December, wasn't it, about Workington Man and
0: yes, supposedly yeah. these, these disaffected Labour voters in traditional Labour heartlands.
1: Um, and by the looks of the results, um, with quite a lot of places you, you just associate with Labour uh, going over to the Conservatives, um, it's, it, it means that the government are going gonna to have to listen to um, to communities in the north um, areas, which maybe you could argue have been ignored or sidelined a little bit in the past. Yes. So, from a rugby league point of view, um, taking politics out of it, obviously, that that is an advantage rugby league has got now. Um, my reservations are, are, are varied.
0: I mean, one of, one of them is the fact that it's a loan. Yeah. Um, we don't know the
1: terms of the loan or when it has to be paid back or. Whether it's interest-free or what the interest rate is, or anything like that, that's been kept confidential. But obviously, a loan has to be paid back, and you just wonder how clubs are going to, and the sport is going to manage to do that. I mean, whether it's
0: it's being couched as a loan, but that will be written off in the future. I don't know, but clearly, you
1: don't want clubs getting themselves deeper into problems um, by. Taking taking out loans now, so that's that's a concern. Obviously, the the money will come in very handy. It's not going to solve all the problems though. As I as I said, 16 million pounds is a lot of money um, for a sport like rugby league, but the the depth of the crisis um, is is probably even greater than that. We're we're seven weeks or so in. There's no sign of the sport returning um, and when it does return, as, as we've discussed on here several times, it's almost certainly going to be behind closed doors, yeah. which isn't going to generate any much or any income. There might be some sort of TV deal that, that can maybe do that. But um, I think it's saying maybe a little bit of the immediate pressure off, but but this is still a very si- serious
0: situation for um, for the RFL and for individual clubs. Indeed, I was reading an interview yesterday with Michael Carter, the Wakefield Trinity Chief Executive, and he was pretty much um, in the speaking in the same terms as you, in that it was great that the money had come in, but there were a lot of um, unknowables still about the terms of how to get the money and how much interest they'd be charged and how long it would be paid back over. And his worry, of course, was to take out a loan today um, the money might not last for the period that they're not you know, getting any other income and then they're saddled with another debt maybe for five or ten years down the line. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. And
1: they also, um, a lot, most clubs have got staff, virtually all the staff and players on furlough. Yeah. And that, that scheme is due to expire soon, so there'll be a lot of concern about that. I mean, I don't know what... Um, what the government will do about that, hopefully it will be extended because rugby league's by no means alone in this. A lot of, lot of businesses have, have taken advantage of the uh, job retention scheme. But if that were to go and um, the the shutdown dragged on much longer, you'd inevitably be looking at a lot of redundancies. Um, clubs are cost-cutting as much as they can at the moment. Yeah. And they're trying to protect jobs, but... That might not be possible in the long term, certainly without government support. So that's another concern. Um, and I think, as I've said, inevitably when the sport does come back, it's going to be behind closed doors. If they can get um, get back at all, there'll have to be some sort of exemption for um, for from the, um, the the ban on mass gatherings. Yeah. Obviously, you can't have a rugby league game if um, if you're only two people are, are allowed to gather. So that'll have to be lifted or um, the sport will have to be given an exemption. And then there's the concern about what happens with players. You can't socially distance during a rugby game. Obviously, it's a contact sport. Um, I should imagine some players will have concerns about their own well-being and and their physical and physical safety. And and that has to be taken into consideration. I don't know what would happen if the sport resumes and then a player tests positive for
0: COVID-19. Would the sport be able to continue then? That's all stuff that's going to have to be
1: ironed out before we get any more rugby um, played this year. People still are confident of the season going ahead, but time is passing. We're into May. Now, um, the grand final is not going to happen in October, is it? I think we're all pretty, pretty sure about that. But we, I can't see there being any
0: rugby before July at the um, at the absolute earliest. No, uh, I was talking point you just made there regarding the players. I was talking to someone earlier in the week about that and the fact that, you know, where do you go if if one player or a couple of players from a club test positive and that club? has to close down for a period. Or if if indeed, you know, one club has got a completely clean bill of health and, and another club is missing four or five players and, you know, do they have an uneven playing field where they may have to pay four or five inexperienced youngsters just to make up the numbers, just to get the game played? Um, well,
1: I think, I think there seems to be an acceptance that squads are going to have to dig deep um, or clubs are going to have to dig deep into the squads. The yeah. reserve competition has been cancelled for the rest of the season. Um, I think that's partly one of the reasons some players will be, probably be required for first-team duty. Um, but look, there is a health and safety concern for the players. Player welfare has to be taken into consideration. And I say, I think, I think you have to bear
0: the wishes of the players in mind yes. as well, because... You know, most a lot of them
1: have got families and, and young kids and older relatives and they don't want to be p- picking up the um, picking up the virus and spreading it to them so um, certainly a lot of discussions
0: lie ahead over the next um, the next few months yeah yeah I would agree with all of that. Um, again I know we keep coming to this pessimistic view but really it is hard to see a way back at all at the moment. Yeah, it's um, not a
1: pessimistic view, Rich. It's a re- it's a well, realistic,
0: realistic. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, wrong choice of words. Yeah,
1: I'm sure people at clubs and people involved in the sport and probably most fans would would have the same the same opinion. Um, so it's still worrying times. I
0: think we should talk about something a little bit more cheerful. <laughs> um, it's start of May and, and yes. which used to be Challenge Cup final time. It did, didn't yes. not um, we were talking off air before we started. Um, I believe it's a significant anniversary of your um, your first rugby league game. Is that right? It is indeed. It, it wasn't my first game, but it was my first trip to Wembley 41 years ago today, on May the fifth, nineteen seventy nine, mm. uh, when Wakefield Trinity played Witness. Um, yeah. My first game actually was the semi-final against St. Helens and um, just before we came on air I just had a quick skim through the highlights on YouTube of that game and I know that Wakefield had won it late on but I didn't realise it was really was with the last touch of the game, Andrew Fletcher's try, uh, which mm-hmm. sent them to Wembley. Um, it was one of those funny days, my uncle and his friend had taken me to the game, I'd never been to see a rugby league game before and the interest from my point of view really was that Paul McDermott was playing for Wakefield uh, in the semi against Saints and his brother yeah. Brian of Lee dryno's fame was it was in the year below me at school so there was a lot of interest in the school you know about how Paul McDermott would do and how Wakefield would do obviously and um they won and then afterwards my uncle said to me I wasn't going to tell you in case of loss but if if we won we'd agreed we'd go to Wembley so so off we went, and um, the crowd of ninety four thousand there that day apparently.
1: Yeah, is, those those were the days. I mean, I was actually at yeah. that game. It was, it was my second Wembley, and after seventy nine, I didn't go again till the till the nineties. But look, the one thing
0: I can remember about it is that it was nil nil at half time. It was, yeah, yeah. That was the thing. Um, I've often said to people down the years I can't remember a great deal about the game itself but what, I, what I'll never ever forget is it was 0-0 nil, nil at half time and David Topless won the Lance Todd Trophy mm. t- excuse me tripping over my own was a uh, Lance Todd Trophy um, f- which again was quite unusual to be on the losing side and win a, win the trophy I think you'd be fair to say um, Yeah that's, that's true although the previous time Wakey were at Wembley in
1: 68 um, Don
0: Fox did, didn't he? In a losing team. He literally. did, yes. Yeah, despite the famous last-minute miss, uh, he'd already been chosen, hadn't he? And people yeah. said rightly so, regardless of that one blip at the end of the game there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great day out, and um, you know, saying one I've never forgotten. Probably my, even probably could have been my first trip to London. I remember going down on a one two five train, which was a, a brand-new novelty then as well, and travelling on the Jubilee line, which had only just opened, so they were two other firsts from the day. And uh, something that rugby league followers will know, well, bumping into people from Wakefield that you knew, <laughs> but in a completely different context, you know, and it was uh, the man who ran the shop near my uncle's house, you know, he was someone we bumped into, and fans of other clubs, of course, as well, who just go down for the day out and pick, pick which team they're supporting. Uh, I think as we discussed the other week, I'd watched the finals in 77 and 78 involving Leeds with the David Ward connection. And yep. I think similarly to you, I think the next time I went to Wembley after 79 was in 99 uh, with my colleague Steve Heptinstall or our colleague Steve Heptinstall to see the Rhinos beat London. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing from that day in 79, Steve's younger brother Lee played in the schoolboy game before, all these little things you find out years later. Yeah, um, yeah. A, Another friend of mine, Mark Tolson, he he played in the game beforehand as well for Wakefield schoolboys. And Mark was in the juniors at Wakefield and then played for Donnie and a couple of other teams later on in his yeah. career. Yeah, those are
1: sort of the, so the, the golden age of... Wembley Cup Finals, wasn't it? Where yeah, you got a huge attendance, like you say, ninety odd, ninety eight thousand sometimes. Um, everybody in the game went, regardless of who was in the final. Yeah. if you were, a, if you were a, a Huddersfield fan or a Batley fan or whatever, you'd still you'd still go, even though your team wasn't um, wasn't there. And we've lost that. It was a grant. It was sort of a, the North Grand Day Out, wasn't it? Yes. A little bit. And and, and I think it's a shame that. That's gone, and, and I don't think we're ever going to going to recapture that. That sort of started to die in the the early 90s. I think um, I don't think Wigan's dominance probably helped no. really, and then obviously the switch to summer rugby, the introduction of the Grand Final, and the move of the Challenge Cup Final to August, although it was going to be July this year. Um, I don't think those things have have helped either the competition, certainly
0: not what it, um, what it used to be. No, I mean, as we discussed, I, I didn't have, go to Wembley again for 20 years, but in the sort of mid-80s, when I was allowed to go to the pub, um, our landlord was Kevin Harkin, who had played for Wakefield right. and Hull and York during his career. So the Challenge Cup final, even then, it became a bit of an event day in the pub where you know everybody would go down and watch the game, regardless of who was playing. And you know the bit of food on and that, but again, it it kind of kept that group feeling together. It didn't really matter which team you liked as an individual. Everybody was in, you know, watching the game, you know, and it was yeah. it was all part of it. And yeah, then, we've gone from we've gone from ninety thousand attendances, haven't we? Down to down to the sixties now. I mean, thirty a loss of a third of your
1: crowd is it's it's concerning and it is. It's sad for, for the sport. Um, I think now that Old Trafford's over taking it as, as the big event, the uh, grand final for me is a, is a bigger and better
0: event yes. than the challenge final. And I'm not quite sure how how the
1: competition is, is going to be revived, really. But, I mean, having said all that, wouldn't it be great to see a club like Wakey, who haven't been there for so long, uh, getting back to the, the final? I mean, that would be perhaps something that that would go a long way towards um, reviving interest in in the city.
0: There's a lot of lapsed Wakefield fans living in the area and maybe a a good cup run all the way to the final and winning it once they got there would would maybe reverse that trend a bit. Definitely, I mean that's I've discussed this with you many times, that's always one of my hopes every season that Wakefield could get a, a decent run and get back to Wembley and what a shot in the arm it would be for the city but also for the sport to have a, a different team you know a, a glorious team from the past back at Wembley um certainly as well with Wakefield's history that would probably create some external interest as well people a lot of people wherever you go in the country they've always heard of Wakefield Trinity it's one of those types of cities you know it's a real marker for the city and um you know it, that day was a, a brilliant day out, and when I was just watching the semi again there, when Fletcher scored that late try, lo- and and I'll probably they wouldn't do it today, but loads of people ran on the pitch in in delirious excitement and then ran off again, as they do, and you just think, well, that was only eleven years between Wembley finals. This is forty-one. Imagine, you know, the uplift and the interest and that would come if they could manage to do it again, and the way the draw is now. Maybe you know they nearly—they've got to the semis a couple of times. Haven't they, and just fallen at the final hurdle? It is open for a, a, a smaller club, shall we say, to to go all the way.
1: Well, it is because if, if you're a Super League team, you don't have to win that many
0: games to get there. Wankie no. have
1: gone in a, a round earlier than most Super League clubs this year because they finished in the bottom four last season. But it's it's very doable. Um, They'll certainly have to
0: play better than they did in in their first game a couple of months ago when they were, I wasn't actually there, but um, by all accounts they were pretty lucky to beat Bradford Bulls, Yes, Um, but it's a big incentive
1: and when when the sport comes back we don't know what sort of form teams are going to be in, um, whether they're going to be... Um, players are going to be back from injury, players that were in form might be out of form, players that are out of form might be in form. Um, but Wakefield, the draw's been kind to them so far, home matches against low-division teams. So, you know, there's, I don't see any reason why Wakey couldn't, um, with a bit of a fair win behind them, couldn't get to Wembley this year. And, and that, that'd that be good for the competition as well, because you want different, um, different teams there. It was good. When Cass got there the other year, it was good when Hull got there. Catalan's winning it, gave the competition a shot in the arm. Yeah. It, it needs that sort of unpredictability about it
0: rather than the same teams appearing every year. And I do think as well, as you suggested earlier, that if Wakefield got there, then there would definitely be a lot of old-timers dusting off their scarves and, and heading d- down to Wembley. You know, I, I don't think there would be any... Worry that they wouldn't take a good following as well. Um,
1: yeah, yeah I agree.
0: One other thing that might interest our listeners about that particular run to the to the final, Peter, Wakefield got all the way there by scoring 45 points over four rounds, which was, I found, an incredible stat.
1: 45 points in
0: total? Yeah. yeah, they beat Featherston first in, uh, in round one, 10 7. Then they put 19 points on Oldham in the second round, 19-7, and they beat Barrow 8-5 and Saints 9-7. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, um, I mean, even really... with,
1: even with um, three points for a try, that's...
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, that's... maybe that explains why it was, you know, it was nil-nil at half-time. Mm. They, they, they didn't score many, but they didn't give many away either. <laughs> no,
1: no, but that's... Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting...
0: Start. I mean, I'll you know, be interesting to I haven't I haven't got the figures in front of me, but it'd be interesting to compare with what the points tally for the teams that got to the final last year was. But it yeah, would be considerably higher than uh, <laughs> than forty five. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a well, you know, say I had to have my memory jogged. You know, a long time back now, but I was I was staggered that every game was real nip and tuck. Hopefully it won't be another 41 years anyway the other final I did go to one final in the summer era and that I think it was 2008 um Holland's I think was that Holland St Helen's yeah but, uh, yeah but uh, yeah. it didn't as you say it just didn't seem right going at the end of August and you know it was kind of creeping back into the football season and the back end of the cricket season and it it just didn't seem the same as the first uh, weekend in May as it always, I'd been in my childhood.
1: Yeah, and the, the venues, are, the new Wembley's okay, but it it doesn't have the same magic that the old place had.
0: I mean, the old stadium was, was a dump, let's face it. it yeah. It was, it was in a, a poor state. Um, the new stadium's
1: nice and shiny. We say new, it's obviously more than a decade old now but it's nice and shiny and, and there's good viewing points and a better seating and, and everything like that but it doesn't have the same atmosphere I mean I, it's just big yes um, to me it's not it's it's just a bigger version of, of grounds you get like um, at, at new football grounds or yeah. seated stadiums um, the only thing it's got going for it's, it's it's big capacity um, the atmosphere is not not the same, which I think is, I think is a shame. Um, I think even when Wembley was all seated, the old Wembley was all seated, the atmosphere was better than it is at the new stadium. I mean maybe that's just just me being an old timer, but um, I think it, I don't think the atmosphere compares with, for
0: example, Trafford and Grand Final night. No, I think that's much better no i would agree i've you know i've enjoyed my trips to the new Wembley and certainly it's a lot more comfortable in terms of when i took my son down for the charity shield the other day early year, apologies you know it was a lot it was a lot more comfortable and you felt kind of safer in inverted commas and it was easy to get to the toilets and and have uh, something to eat and drink and so on but at the same time it wasn't it wasn't the same as everybody sort of rammed in and shoulder to shoulder and you know, uh, the excitement of the teams coming out of the long tunnel and the pitch seeming, you know, miles away with the, with the kind of track around it a bit and yeah. just, you know, again, I'm a bit like, you like yourself a bit of an old timer and I, I like the old grounds and ways. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Which was your first final out of interest, Peter? Um, 78 when
1: Leeds, but yeah, Leeds beat St Helens uh, came from Ten nil down, very early on. Um, snatched it, sort of at the death. Yeah. With um, John Holmes, they got level um, with a Phil Cooks and try, missed the conversion. Then John Holmes kicked a stupendous left-footed drop goal to the head. Oh yes, yeah. David Ward, who we've mentioned before, kicked a, another drop goal to make it two points. And then in the last seconds, it looked like Saints were going to score the winner, but um, Derek Noonan, I think it was dropped the ball in the corner and leads one, And, Leeds won. and um, I mean, that's regarded by a lot of people as one of the classic finals. Um, went again in 79. And then the next one after that was um, 93 when Wigan played um, played Widnes. So there was a long gap, but I've been yeah. to everyone. I've been to everyone since
0: 93. Um, I still enjoy the day out, but I'll say it's not... It's not quite the same as it was a few years ago no. uh, I think of those finals are memorable ones um, from a, a
1: working point of view the memorable ones obviously Leeds Leeds winning their finals um, although
0: they've lost more <laughs> than they've won yeah um, 98 when
1: Sheffield beat Wigan was um, was a special afternoon uh, we've always had a bit of time for the Sheffield club and that was just a, a great day particularly with the fact it was Wigan that they um, yes. that they beat, yeah, I remember. And, um, yeah, and the Catalan's winning the other year against Warrington
0: was um, was one of the better modern ones, I think, just for the shot in the arm it gave. It gave the game. Everybody there was um, was a Catalan's fan yeah. to the den, and it was nice to see a different team lifting the trophy. Yeah, certainly, I w- I remember watching that game and. Uh, you could see the genuine uh, delight as well on the on the sort of French club and the French players. Uh, you know they knew what the Challenge Cup meant, and you know they'd won it. You know, and it was it was a really special thing, and they made a big fuss. I think didn't they fly the cup back in its own seat on the plane or something? And uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know it, it wasn't just oh, well it's just another pot to pick up. Or you know they really respected it and really got you know behind what it meant to win. And that really pleased me as well as the fact that they actually won the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, as we've said, we don't know quite what's going to happen this year. And there's been talk in the past as well, of course, about maybe uh, moving the game from Wembley to to another stadium. Uh, Maybe that's part of the reason why Old Trafford's proved such a hit because it's nearer. Uh, Everybody's sat down, you can get 75,000 in and it sells out.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, that was um was something we broke in the Evening Post a, a few weeks ago, that one of the things being considered is moving the Challenge Cup final um, to what would have been the grand final date yes. in October. I think it's October the 10th this year, and, and staging it at Old Trafford and then playing the grand final in November at Tottenham Oxford Stadium in London, which is already booked for supposedly for the third test, which I think we're, we're all pretty sure isn't going to happen. Yes. Um, I think the problem with that is that I, I think it's it's looking unlikely that they'll get the season finished by October even. Um, but that's certainly along the lines of, of what they're thinking. They're putting contingency plans like that into place. And obviously if the Challenge Cup final was at Old, um, at Old Trafford, it'd be very interesting to see how... Um, how it did in terms of ticket sales and, and
0: interest. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if it was played under the lights as well, sort of early evening and like yeah. the grand final is, it might just add to the atmosphere as well.
1: Yeah,
0: possibly so, yeah. Okay then Peter. Well thanks for that. It was a interesting chat in the end that you know, I enjoyed going back down memory lane with the Challenge Cup finals and obviously if anybody listening has their own special memories of days out at Wembley. Uh, we'd be more than happy to hear them and discuss them in a future show. I think that's all really for now. So again, if I could thank Peter for his time and remind you that you can get the very latest news, Rugby League and all sport from uh, the Yorkshire Evening Post website, uk and also from Peter's own Twitter feed, at Peter Smith, YEP, and my own, at Richard Byron, YEP, and at YEP Sports test 2. Um, So thanks again for listening and hopefully we will be back again soon.